This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Our text in Isaiah chapter 6 is one that lifts up how high and holy that God is. Um, sometimes we seem to trivialize God. We, we, we talk about Him as if He were a small thing. We talk about God being our friend and God loving us, but we don't really feel the weight of how holy God is. We see in Isaiah chapter 6 the weight of glory that Isaiah experienced as he was called by God to do his ministry to the people of Israel. Now I... uh, Make it a practice. I actually read the text as a part of my preaching. We've already heard the text, uh, but we'll read through it again. I want to I read through it, and we want to focus very clearly on what it is that the Word says. So, from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not perceive. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and make their ears heavy. Blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant, and the houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth tree or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is in its stump. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, give us ears to hear. 
and eyes to see, that we may not be like the people who Isaiah preached to. Lord, help us to see what it is that you want us to hear from this message, from this, your word. Help us to to hear your word. Lord, you speak as the shepherd and your sheep hear your voice. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear. Lord, I pray that you would be with me, a sinner. I need your strength. I need your grace to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Begins in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah was a good king. Things seemed to be going well, but then this good king dies. And you think things are going to change. Things are, were going good and now they're no longer going to be going good because this good and righteous king has died. But then Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. While this good and righteous king died, and Isaiah may have expected things were going to go bad, he was reminded that the Lord was sitting on his throne. The Lord is in control. And when we look at the politics of our nation, when we look at uh, the way the world is going, we might be encouraged when things go the way we want them to, when elections go the way we want to, and we might be discouraged whenever they don't go the way we want them to. But all in all, we need to be like Isaiah and we need to see that the Lord is sitting on His throne and He is in control of all things. Isaiah said he saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and the Lord was high and lifted up. He was high and holy above all things. It says the train of his robe filled the temple. Just the the bottom, just the hem of his robe was enough that it filled the entire building. That's how big God was as he saw as Isaiah saw this vision of God. He was so big that it was just the very tip, the very corner of His garment filled the whole temple. It says above Him stood seraphim. From the translation that Tom read from, these are flaming creatures. The word seraphim, uh, seraph, is the Hebrew word and it means burning. So these Angelic beings were burning, flaming creatures. And it describes these creatures. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Because God was so holy, he couldn't bear, even this angel that was flying around the throne of God couldn't bear to look at how holy God is. And with two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. Because just as Moses, whenever he approached the Lord, the Lord said, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. These angelic beings that were so amazing couldn't even bear to look, couldn't even bear to stand on the ground where the Lord was. They had to cover their feet. And with two, he flew. They couldn't even touch the ground. 
And then one called out to another. You can imagine this, these seraphim that were standing over the Lord. And one was calling out to the one over here, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The vision that Isaiah is having here is of the Lord and His His. Just the corner of His garment is filling the temple, but the whole earth is filled with His glory. Holy, holy, holy. What is it to be holy? We, We think about holiness in terms of a moral purity, something that is perfectly good. There's no sin within it. It is not tainted. It is perfect and righteous. All good. But also it is set apart. It is different. It is separate. God is so big and so glorious. He is above anything that we could ever imagine. He is at all. I would say He is utterly different. Yet He made us in His image. And so yet, we have this similarity. We can relate to God. Holy, holy, holy. When the Hebrews wanted to emphasize something to the maximum degree, they would would, uh, repeat it three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We've sung... um, I'm sure you've sung before, what a mighty fortress is our God. Whenever the song says, Lord Sabaoth, His name, that is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of armies. The hosts of heaven. We think of all these angelic beings. There were two there with the Lord, these burning, shining creatures that were standing over the presence of the Lord with two wings covering their eyes, two wings covering their feet, and two flying. But the Lord is the Lord of hosts. There were armies of these creatures. And the Lord is in control. He just had to speak and send any of these creatures anywhere that He wants to go. He is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of armies. It says the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. Notice, it's not the voice of God that's calling out. It's he, he's saying the voice of this angel. The voice of this seraphim who's calling out, holy, holy, holy. It's at that voice that the the thresholds of the temple are begin to shake so magnificent so glorious is this creature that the temple begins to shake and if the creature that was calling out was so big that the temple began to shake just imagine how much bigger god is And the house was filled with smoke. You can imagine what Isaiah said may be what you would say in that position. 
If you stood face to face with this immense, bigger than you can imagine God who is perfectly holy and perfectly different from us to be like Isaiah and say, woe is me. Woe is me, is what Isaiah says. My translation says, I am lost. Uh, I, am perf- I am utterly destroyed. He is bowled over. He is devastated by seeing the Lord in all of His glory. I am a man of unclean lips. What does Isaiah do whenever he sees the Lord? He confesses his sin. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. He says, I'm sinful. I need to be cleansed. When we stand in the presence of a holy God, that should be our response as well. I am sinful. I cannot bear to stand in His presence. And when He says that, when He says, I am I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He says, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He realized you know, that it, we, we think how great it would be to, to stand and, and dance before the Lord. But we, that may be kind of an unrealistic expectation. If we really stand before the Lord and see Him in all of His brightness and all of His glory, we would be like that. We would be utterly devastated. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs of the altar. The altar in the temple is the place where sacrifice was made. Sacrifice was made in the Old Testament pointing forward to the cross. Pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice when Jesus would give His life for us. But in the Old Testament, it was just a shadow. And they had the sacrificial system in which on the Day of Atonement, a a calf would be slaughtered, a lamb would be slaughtered. The sins of the people would somehow go upon that lamb to take away their sins. But David tells us the blood of goats and calves and lambs could never take away sin. All of those things point forward to Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God. Isaiah needed to be cleansed. He recognized his sin. He confessed his sin. And this angel, this angelic being, this seraphim flew to him. He had a burning coal in his hands and he, in, in, his, um, in a tongue and he touched my mouth with it, Isaiah says. And he's cleansed. 
He couldn't bear to stand in the presence of a holy God because of his sin. And yet, the angel took care of that. You know what? Jesus took care of that for us. Jesus is what makes us clean. What makes us able to stand in God's presence. What makes us able to be able to come to Him in prayer. What makes us able to be forgiven and to be able to be accepted as a part of His children. We have to be cleansed. And notice, Isaiah didn't ask for it. He just said, woe is me. I'm undone. I can't bear to stand in your presence. And God took the initiative and sent this seraphim to him, touched his lips and cleansed it like fire purifies. He declares, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. He needed to be told what happened. He needed for it to be explained to him. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is told, atoned for. We need that. We need to have it explained to us. Jesus paid it all for us. Jesus took away our sins when He died as a substitute for us on the cross. When He died taking our sin upon Himself and giving us a righteousness that is not our own. Giving us that righteousness that is His. Giving it to us. We have to have that explained to us. And we can often forget. We are very forgetful people. We need to meet together as a church. We need to hear the Gospel proclaimed. Because if we don't, we're liable to forget. And we're liable to be discouraged in our sin. Discouraged and continue to wander in it. And we need to be reminded what Jesus has done for us in taking away our sin, in atoning for it. Verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then he said, Here am I, send me. What comes after cleansing? A calling. When Jesus has cleansed us, He calls us to go and take a message. When He cleanses us, He says, Who shall I send? And who will go for us? God has a mission. His mission is to save the world. His mission is like the Great Commission. The Great Commission that we are to go to every nation, to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the Gospel, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them everything that Jesus commanded. So if we've been cleansed by Jesus, He asks, who will go? Who will go? Who will take this message to the ends of the earth? And Isaiah said, Here am I. 
send me. And what was Isaiah supposed to say? It's strange. We expect Isaiah to go and proclaim good news. And if God is really calling him, if God is the one who called Isaiah to do this, then everybody's going to rejoice in it, right? Everybody's going to hear him and and think, oh, thank you, you've given us the message from our God. But this is what God tells Isaiah. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. It's got to make Isaiah feel good, right? You're going to go and you're going to preach. You're going to preach this message and no one is going to listen to you. How can Isaiah continue to preach when he knows nobody's going to listen? How can he be motivated? He can't be motivated by the results. He can only be motivated by the calling of God. He can only be motivated by knowing God has commissioned me to take this message. And in the same way, we ought not to be motivated by our results. Rejoice in them when we see someone come to Jesus. When we see someone through our evangelism that trusts in Christ. We do rejoice in that. But that's not what keeps us going. What keeps us going as we proclaim this message is that our sin has been taken away. That our sin is atoned for. We no longer have any guilt. What keeps us going is the fact that God has called us to join Him in sharing this message. And you can imagine if we're told, go and preach, but you're not going to see any results, we might ask the same question Isaiah does. He asks, How long? How long do you want me to do this, Lord? To preach with no results. To continue to to say this message and never see anyone believe me. And the Lord says, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant. That's encouraging. And the houses without people. And the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away. The forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Isaiah was proclaiming at a time when God was bringing judgment upon Israel. He was bringing judgment upon His own people because of their sin. And God is telling Isaiah they're going to be taken away from this land. They're going to be taken away from this land that was promised to them and taken away and put in another land. And there's not going to be anybody left. The houses are going to just be sitting there. Maybe you've seen a a community driven through it and the houses are just empty everywhere. Very, very few people left. 
But in the midst of the Lord telling Isaiah, it's going to be really bad. In the midst of him telling Isaiah, you're going to preach there until there's nobody left to preach to. He says, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Oh, (laughs) it's going to get worse. Like a terebinth tree or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. You cut down a tree and the stump's still sitting there and it's in the yard and it's a, it's a pain. You've got to do something to get rid of this stump. Somebody's going to trip over it. It's just, it's an ugly eyesore and so you burn it, right? You burn it to get rid of it. That's what the Lord says it's like here for Israel. The tree's going to be cut down of Israel. There's a stump that's going to be there and what's going to happen? I'm going to burn it again. Get it down even more. But then he says the last thing. The holy seed is in its stump. This is the most glorious thing, I think, in this passage. The holy seed is in its stump. You ever see a stump? It's been cut down, but it has a branch coming up off of the stump because it just even though you've cut it down the the plant is still alive and it shoots up to grow a new tree there sometimes that can be annoying you can cut them all down and then all of a sudden you come back a few few months later and see there's all these things growing up on them again the holy seed is in its stump while God is going to devastate Israel, while He's bringing judgment upon them, the holy seed is in the stump. It's going to sprout out. Even though it's going to be burned over, this seed will bring forth a, uh, a branch from the stump. Well, what is this talking about? This holy seed. For that, we have to think back to the garden where Adam and Eve were created and given a command, do not eat from the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They sinned. And in Adam and Eve, we all are guilty. But in the curse that was pronounced in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And he's talking to the Satan, to Satan. This is a, a curse upon Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That word offspring is seed. I will put enmity between your Seed and her seed. The seed of the woman. And there is a promise that one day the woman will have an offspring who will crush the head of the serpent. And we see in Genesis a a, a looking forward to that. You, You see... 
Eve gives birth. She gives birth to Cain and she thinks maybe this is the one, maybe this is the seed. And then her hopes are dashed when Cain kills Abel. And yet there's another seed that's born. And Seth, you follow Seth's line and you come down to Noah. Noah's father he says, he called him Noah because the word Noah means to rest. It means rest. And he said, maybe this one will be the one who will give us rest from our labors and from the toil and the sweat of our brow, all coming back from the language of Genesis 3 and the curse. What was the curse upon on the ground that we would have to toil and sweat? There was an expectation. Maybe Noah will be the one who will save us. And he did. But he was only someone that pointed forward to the seed of the woman that was to come. And then you come into the Old Testament and you see in David, there is a promise that David would have a son who would sit on his throne forever. This is a continuation of the promise from Genesis chapter 3. This holy seed, this seed of the woman, this one who was a son of David who would sit on his throne forever. How was God going to keep His promises if He was going to wipe Israel out? Cut it down and burn the stump. The holy seed was in the stump. And while Israel... And Judah was taken away. Judah was taken away into Babylon. The king at the time, Jehoiachin, was taken in chains into Babylon. There came a time whenever the people came back. They settled in the land. They rebuilt the temple. And a few hundred years later, in Bethlehem, was born a baby who was the Word who became flesh, who came to crush the serpent's head. The Lord is holy, holy, holy. He is a God who is great and glorious. If we stand in His presence, we would be obliterated if it were not for the seed of the woman. The holy seed who died in our place. And He is our shield to rescue us from the wrath of God. This is our God. is not to be trifled with. He is not to be taken for granted. He is not to be taken lightly. But He is glorious. And He is good. And He keeps His promises unto the end. (laughs) 